0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we join Kirai Ankoku on her quest to avenge the death of her true love, Francis Kitchener. Her path will bring her face to face with the mysterious hanged man named Jack Daw. I hope you enjoyed part one of The Past is Never Dead right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Malifaux Gardening Supplies. Stop on by to pick up a rake, a trowel, or a pair of extremely sharp garden shears. They're perfect for pruning roses or dismembering your enemies. Why not buy a shovel at the same time to help you dispose of the bodies? The Past is Never Dead, by Mary Takuda. Now entering the breach of the Great Boundary, the conductor announced over the loudspeaker. As the night sky outside the windows gave way to the sinister darkness of the breach, a hush fell over the passengers. The train rattled and hissed. Under the train car's swaying lamps, men and women perched on the uncomfortable seats. What's out there? The one child on the train asked his voice small and high. He stood on the seat and pressed his face against the glass. After only a moment, he paled and sat, silent. Something in the murky blackness had alerted him to the dangers he would face once they reached their destination. He was one of the smart ones. Karai saw a few passengers clutch at the icons their particular religion favoured. Others appeared impatient and restless, with a vicious light in their eyes. Only the desperate recklessly greedy or savagely lethal, came through the breach. With a buzzing hiss, the lamps flickered out all at once. Several passengers screamed in surprise. Instead of reflecting the inside of the train, Karai could see outside the heavy glass windows. In that instant, she saw a figure on a nearby hill silhouetted against the night sky, a noose hanging from his neck and a hood over his head. Even from the shadows, he seemed to stare at her, A chill ran up and down her spine. What a welcome. The lamps flared. Once again she saw her own face in the glass. Malifaux station, the conductor called out as the train's rattling slowed. Karai grabbed her valise and made her way down the train. With light footsteps, she stepped around enthusiastic passengers who tumbled into the aisle. Several times she pushed past people who stood frozen still unsure of their decision to leave their earthside homes. Some small part of her pitied them, though their caution made them the likeliest to survive this wild place. As she reached the station platform, Karai smoothed the wrinkles from the skirt of her conservative brown walking suit and adjusted the monstrosity of a hat on her head. The enormous brim hid her face from anyone who didn't look too closely. She found the excess of feathers, silk, flowers and stuffed birds horrifying... But it was fashionable in the King's Empire, and she had to admit, good for distracting her conspicuous features. Guild parasites, union bloodsuckers, and regular grifters descended on the passengers. Not even the roar of the train heading to Industry Station could cover the clamor of deceit and extortion taking place in the city's entryway. The telltale sounds of a fight breaking out reached her. No doubt about it, she was home. With a tight grip on her valise and on the lookout for pickpockets, she moved through the crowd. It was easy. There was always a little space around her, as though the living could feel the touch of the dead she brought with her everywhere. Even still, the crowded station slowed her down. Excuse me, a hand reached out and grabbed her upper arm. A glance down revealed shoes and uniform trousers. Guild guard. It took all of Karai's willpower to keep herself from reflexively reaching for her weapon. There were too many people for a fight here. She kept her face tipped forward and covered by the brim of her hat. Yes? I have a few questions to ask you, the guard said. She plucked his fingers from her arm and stopped in the middle of the floor. What do you need to know? We're checking luggage to make sure no contraband comes in with the passengers, he explained. The guild inspected our bags before we boarded the train, Karai replied, a chill in her voice. Besides, she'd already paid a hefty bribe to bring the relic she had in her valise back with her. Sometimes our earthside compatriots are not as thorough as we'd like them to be, the guard chuckled. We're also looking for criminals trying to come through. Karai almost snorted. This side of the breach was rife with those who had little respect for laws. And you think I am a smuggler or a criminal? Well, I'm not suspicious of you, he said hurriedly. I just need your bag so I can take a quick peek. At my personal effects in this public place, she asked, I would rather you did not. Why, the guard laughed, do you have something to hide? Everybody does, do they not? He leaned over to get a closer look at her face under the brim of her hat. His eyes widened as he caught a glimpse of her. She lifted her head and saw him staring past her at a collection of wanted posters decorating a station wall. In the upper right of the collage hung a crooked rendition of Karai's face. "'You were Karai and Koku,' he breathed. He reached for his revolver and the whistle hanging from his pocket. "'How inconvenient,' she replied. Before he could call out, she snatched the knife from his belt and sank the blade through his ribs and into his left lung. He made a strange gurgling sound and sank to the ground. She was already walking away when the first scream started. It was her, a voice called after her. The one in the ugly hat. Footsteps followed. Kara swore under her breath and ducked into the ladies' retiring room. I guess Philip is not getting this hat after all. She yanked the hairpin out of her hair and tore the hat off of her head. Stomping footsteps and voices came from the hall. As she slipped out of her clothes, she pulled a wrinkled yucata out of her valise. She shrugged and thrust her arms through the sleeves. She had just shoved her Empire-style clothes out the window and was adjusting her sash when two guild guardswomen burst through the door. With a bland expression, Karai turned to face them. Have you seen an Empire woman in a terrible hat come through here? One of the guardswomen demanded. Karai blinked. No. You look awfully familiar, the other guard mused. Have we met before? Karai shrugged and thought back to the wanted poster. I often work in the little kingdom. I've probably seen you there, the guardswoman murmured. Chiangong, at one time. The guardswoman studied Karai. Come on, we have to find that woman, her partner snapped. Karai let out her breath slowly as the two guards stomped out of the retiring room. That is not ideal. She set her long hair down to cover her face as she left the retiring room and headed for the doors. New inhabitants of the city crowded around the bleeding guard sprawled on the floor of the station. Those who knew this place went about their business, not giving the growing crimson stain another glance. She walked at an unhurried pace, dodged guards, and tried not to draw attention to herself. Finally. The doors closing behind her muted the cacophony. She took a deep breath. It was blessedly quiet. The air filled her nose smelling both bitter and charged, like a lightning strike. It was familiar and menacing. Home indeed. From around the corner of the building, Karai heard someone announce, We found the hat. It's truly awful. Search everyone, came the immediate command. Karai left through a back door and slipped down the road, vanishing before anyone could stop her. The breeze enveloped her like hushed voices. She hadn't been gone long, but Karai had almost forgotten how it always sounded like this place was speaking to her. Perhaps it was in its own way. It was an unsettling but not unsurprising thought. Karai glanced back behind her again. Every time she heard voices or a vehicle, she melted into the shadows. The cobblestone streets were dark and grimy, the lights were dim and intermittent. Where she was going, there were no guardsmen to intervene in anything untoward. Her shoulders relaxed. She liked it when she was the most dangerous thing around. Besides, she only had so much time and hoped that no more distractions waited for her. Just before she reached the city proper, she spotted a quiet side road. In the moonlight it appeared abandoned and overgrown. Tree roots slithered across it. The strange, spiky weeds that grew in this place burst from the ground. With a purposeful gait, and as long a stride as her yukata would allow, she headed that way. Why do we have to go to the hanging tree at this time of night? An annoyed voice beyond a turn in the road demanded of an unseen companion. At the sound, Karai, with quiet steps, shifted into the shadows on the side of the road before the speaker, or spoken to, saw her. People keep seeing Jack Door after those idiots try to steal the tree, so now we have to guard it, came the reply. Two guardsmen clumped toward her. Lucky us. Coriah ground her teeth. Someone just had to report Jack Dor sightings tonight. The guild just had to send guards right now. Don't say his name out loud, Jonas, the first guardsman hissed in warning. That's a stupid superstition, Jonas replied. Puffing his chest up. As they approached, Karai saw his eyes warily move from side to side, belying his bravado. "'Besides, it's not like we'd be able to do anything against something like him,' Jonas' partner muttered. He wasn't wrong. Karai unsheathed her shears. "'You worry too much, coo Jonas chuckled as he patted his gun. "'No one's even seen Jack Dorr at the hanging tree since he left.' "'Besides, nothing's getting past us to—' His severed head thudded to the ground, punctuating Jonah's final word. Cohen screamed. Her eye flicked Jonah's blood from her shears and stared at the remaining guardsman. "'I have business this way. I would let you live if you let me past.' The guardsman fumbled with his gun, floundering with the hammer until he forced it back with a metallic click. He pointed the gun at her. "'Are you working with Jack the Door?' how do I know you'll really let me live? With a wave of her hand, she gestured for him to move aside. His hands trembled, his knees shook, but he stood his ground. This was taking too long. Dropping into a crouch, Karai lunged forward, plunging her sharpened shears into his torso before he could fire. let had a wet gasp as he collapsed to the ground. Karai kicked his gun away from his grasping hands and continued down the road. Now we'll never know, Kuin. The breeze picked up, twisting Karai's hair around her, dancing playfully. This place seemed pleased by the blood she'd spilled, like always. She heard the tree before she saw it. The ropes knotted into nooses creaked as the bodies dangling from them swung in the breeze, dark shapes in the dim light. She tied her dark hair back as she searched for a corpse in the highest branches. His body was gone. Still. The implications of that were not good. The gate squealed as she pushed it open, drowning out the whispers for a moment. The closer she got to the hanging tree, the stronger the foul odour of rot became. As distasteful as it was, this too was a part of death. She inhaled, taking it in, appreciating it, overcoming it. Karai approached the hanging tree and released the shears strapped to her leg. With a snip, one of the bodies swaying from a lower branch fell to the ground with a thud. As she began to wrestle the noose from around the man's neck, she felt someone watching her. Karai looked up. Mr. Dorr, this is the second time I have seen you today. She coldly addressed the being observing her. This night was not going the way she had hoped. She dropped what she was doing, the rope slithering to the ground. Her hand returned to the cool handle of her shears. She studied him. Eyes burned from slits in a hanging hood. The rope of his own noose dragged on the ground behind him. The stench of brimstone and decay wafted off him. He was an anomaly from beyond the veil of death. With a physical body, he wasn't just a ghost, but he felt like an untethered spirit nonetheless. Despite her comfort with death and the undying, Jack Daw made Karai's skin crawl, and nothing good ever came of his presence. She hoped it didn't come to a fight. He was one of the few things in this world she wasn't sure she could defeat. They stood, scrutinizing each other for several long moments. He stayed still, eerily so. Karai felt the pressure of each second ticking away. Then Jack moved. It was a strange, jerky motion that reminded Karai of a puppet. She stepped back into a defensive stance. Jack's pale, nicked fingers, tipped with ragged nails, tore the head off the dead man before grasping the noose Karai had dropped. With a grunt, he held it out to her. With one hand still on her shears, she reached out to grab it from him. Why? she asked. Her voice smiled. The odd creature stared at her with his searing gaze. No one knew why Jack Dor did anything, or so the nursery rhyme said. That only made her more suspicious. Karai reached down and tucked her valise under her arm still holding her shears out in front of her. With slow steps, she made her way back toward the gate. As she shut it with a squeak, she saw Jack scratching his fingers down the bark of the hanging tree, leaving bloody streaks in its place. Did he know what he was giving her? She stared at the weathered, stained length of rope. A circle of death with ties to both sides of the breach, she whispered to herself. A beacon for the dead. For Francis. When she looked back at the hanging tree, Jack was gone. It wasn't long before she also vanished into the night. The next evening, Karai made her way to one of Nicodem's graveyards. As she uncovered a niche carved into the base of a stone angel, she glanced over her shoulder and ignored the man who approached her. "'Kirai! That you?' he called from halfway across the cemetery. With a twinge of annoyance, she tucked the small package from the stone angel into her satchel, replaced the panel and stood. Apparently this encounter was unavoidable. "'It is you,' the man crowed. "'I was wondering when you'd be back.' He eyed her up and down. "'You're looking good as ever.' "'Mortimer.' You have a new suit, Karai stated. She'd never seen him in something that wasn't stained somehow. Despite his well-tailored clothes, he still oozed a certain sliminess that had nothing to do with his appearance. I'm looking good as ever too, eh? He tried to grin, but it came out as more of a leer. I suppose. You are still repugnant, she replied, her tone cold. Oh, Karai, he warned. I thought we had some kind of bond, you know, since we were both Nicodem's lackeys. He pouted. It was not endearing in the least. I was never a lackey. Sure, sure. He gave her a conspiratorial wink. Her expression remained stony. Mortimer cleared his throat. So, uh, how long have you been back? I would like to speak to Nicodem. Where can I find him? "'she said. "'If he was going to bother her, "'he could at least be useful. "'No small talk, eh?' "'Mortimer grumbled with a hopeful look at Karai. "'No.' "'With a suspicious glance around, "'Mortimer leaned in closer. "'Karai took a small step back. "'He pouted again. "'Nevertheless, he whispered, "'Nicodem's dead. "'What?' "'Are you surprised?' Mortimer asked. Is that your surprised face? It's not much different to your normal face. Explain. Well, you're not terribly expressive if you know what I'm saying, he babbled. Never have been. About Nicodem. A headache began to form behind Karai's eyes. Mortimer had that effect on her. The Death Marshals got to him. That Justice wench sliced him up, he shuddered. The Guild. Again. ''Who is running his graveyards?'' Karai demanded. ''I need a body.'' ''Good luck with that,'' the man shrugged. The temptation to kill the toad where he stood was a powerful one, but she was running out of time. Instead, she forced the words through her teeth. ''Can you help me get a body?'' ''Like partners?'' Mortimer perked up. Karai regretted saying anything. ''Yes.'' He puffed himself up, held his lapels, and thrust his chest out. Apologies, pretty lady. I can't partner with you today. I'm gonna be late as it is. She shrugged, annoyed in more ways than she knew possible. However, I can loan you a minion of your very own, Mortimer said, with unbearable condescension. Fine. Mortimer's eyes twinkled. But you loan me, he sang. Her stomach turned. This was for Francis. For Francis. Fine. He clapped his hands with glee. Come with me. She nodded and followed the bouncing steps of Nicodem's former bootlicker. ta Mortimer opened the door to the back of the funeral home. The undertaker's assistant helps me with corpses all the time. He's just through here. I've a bit of a way with the current owner of the graveyard here. Mm-hmm. Not like I had with the previous undertaker, though. Mortimer looked at her expectantly. She walked through the door and ignored him. Nicodem, Mortimer hissed. He was the previous undertaker. You had better get going. "'I would hate to make you later than you already are,' Karai said, with a look at the door. "'Oh, well, let me put it this way. "'If you do not go, I will kill you, "'and you will never make it to your meeting at all.' "'She casually brushed her shears with her fingertips. "'By, Karai, Nysia, and you're welcome back,' and he was gone. "'Kirai massaged the bridge of her nose. "'No one was more maddening than Mortimer.' But he was occasionally helpful, which just made his existence even more maddening. It was a vicious punishment or a cosmic joke. She wasn't sure which. She pushed through a heavy curtain that rasped against the rod holding it up. The choking smell of formaldehyde hit her. A young man, thread and needle in hand, was sewing up a crude incision in a dead woman's flesh. When he looked up, he exclaimed, Karai! She studied his dark hair, chiseled features, scar and eye patch. You have changed occupations, Jean. The corner of his mouth quirked up, equal parts amusement and despair. His fingers anxiously hovered in front of the piece of cloth covering his right eye. The pink ridge of a scar ran from his hairline to his cheek, and underneath the eye patch. He grimaced. It doesn't pay as well. Karai tilted her head and studied him. Madame Winter would not throw you onto the street for that. You are still handsome, just a bit more menacing. That is not a bad thing. If only Madame Winter still rang the gong. Jeanne lamented. She waited. Jeanne continued. She died. Renzo took over as the manager. So she would have to deal with Renzo and not Madame Winter. That was not ideal. I see, Kurai said with distinct iciness. You were never fond of Renzo, were you? Jeanne mused. In fact, she liked Renzo even less than she liked Mortimer. That hadn't always been true, though. Did he kill Madame Winter? she asked. I suspect so, but he covered it up well. The young man sighed, and his shoulders slumped forward. Takara helped him, I'm sure. There were good people at the Qian Gong. Renzo and Takairo did not fit into that category. What do the Ten Thunders think? There were a lot of variables to consider with this change of power. Her former colleague gave her a crooked smile. Things are shifting within the Ten Thunders. The Qian Gong has a new owner too. Don't remember her name though. As long as Renzo is bringing in money. I don't think anyone is looking too closely. Greed was constant. Who owned what didn't matter. The world always revolved around currency. Even when someone like Renzo abused his power. Karai gestured at her own face. And this? A fight broke out. He waved at his face. Renzo took everything I had. He said it was to pay for the surgeon. Then you kicked me out because it was too difficult to find me clients. Considering how well you did, you should have had more than enough to pay for a surgeon. It took a long time for me to recover. The wound got infected. I'm lucky to be alive. I didn't know that he controlled my money until it was too late. Jeanne frowned. He would kill me if I tried to get back what he owed me. He would kill someone for looking at him the wrong way. Jeanne chuckled, a sad sound. That is true. Though this was interesting and helpful, I did not come here for information, Karai said. Of course. Jeanne stood up straight. Mortimer, his name left a bad taste in her mouth, said that you could help me find a corpse. Jeanne hesitated, his dark eyes wary. You are friends with Mortimer? I would not call him my friend. But it's true that you raised the dead. In a sense, yes. Karai raised the hand. An ethereal being flickered into view above the corpse on the table. She clenched her fingers into a fist. A mask settled on the ghost's face, binding it to her. The man shuddered and backed away needle and thread still in his hands. That is not right, Karai. She shrugged and waved her hand, dissipating the mask and dismissing the spirit. How could you possibly need my help? He stared at where the ghost had vanished. My ghosts do not fully exist in this plane. They can kill, but they cannot help me haul a body. Oh, Oh, Jeanne pointed at the body on the table. Want her? She was a murderer and terrible tipper, and she could do with some punishment in her afterlife. Karai shook her head. I need a specific body Francis Kitchener. And I need to keep it from the guild. Hmm. He is in one of those fancy mausoleums, right? Yes. His father was the previous governor general. Yes. Jeanne started and examined Kirai. Wasn't he the reason you left? He was more than your client. Kirai nodded once, a curt movement. That was why they told us not to fall in love. Jeanne gave her a disappointed look. She knew, but she didn't care. Will you help me? His eyes softened. Of course, you are still my friend. It is a bit more prominent in area than I would like. But I think we can get Francis out of there. There are only a few guild guards at any given time in the cemetery. We can dodge them and get your body wherever you need it. First, we need a wheelbarrow. I will meet you at his mausoleum. Jeanne wiped his hands on his apron and moved toward the curtain. And I need you to deliver him to the gong. Kurai peered at him out of the corner of her eye. Jean groaned as he turned to look at her. Karai, you can't be serious. She faced him. The nice room at the end of the hall on the top floor. I don't know if my friendship goes this far, he grumbled. I will pay you double what Mortimer does. He sighed. All right. I want you to know that I would have done it for free. He slipped past the curtain, his movements as graceful as ever. This way, I will not owe you, Karai mumbled to his retreating back. Even though she'd never visited Francis' mausoleum, she knew her way there. She'd stood on the other side of the graveyard's fence enough times to know. It was also impossible to miss. His mausoleum was a hewn stone affair that was as gaudy as the hat she would bought earthside. As she got closer... She smelled incense and perfume so strong it made her sneeze. Every surface was carved or gilded. It was awful. A gift from a Governor-General father who never knew him. She placed her hand on the cool stone. "'I know that you hate this,' Karai said, as she took in the small, overwhelming building. A brief chill brushed against her shoulder. She took that as agreement." A pair of ostentatious metal doors with a heavy lock on the front blocked her way in. She lifted her hand, prepared to summon one of the other inhabitants of the cemetery. But a familiar odour undercut the overwhelming perfume emanating from Francis's grave, and she froze. Dragging footsteps made their way around the stone structure. Jack Dor shambled into view. His filthy torn pants and discolored skin in sharp contrast against the flawless marble. We meet again, Karai said, in cold greeting. His eyes stared out of his hood at her. It was unsettling to have his gaze trained on her. It was as though he had focus, but no intent of his own. You are soulless, Karai concluded. He snapped his teeth together. After another moment of his intense glare he turned and walked away with his stiff telltale gait. When she couldn't smell him anymore, Karai shuddered and shook off the dread Jack carried with him. With a wave of her hand, she continued her work. A spirit rose out of one of the other graves, pulled by forces beyond its control. At Karai's command, the ghost slithered into the lock and burst it from the inside. A metallic scraping sound filled the air as she pushed the doors open. She sneezed as more perfume wafted out at her. With quiet footsteps, she entered the crypt. And then she saw it. She stood still and silent, France's horrible stone sarcophagus in front of her. She hesitated before reaching out, touching the cold marble lid with her fingertips. Footsteps and the squeak of a wheel that needed oiling came from behind her. "'Are you sure you want to do this?' Jeanne asked, his voice low. "'You don't want him to rest in peace.' "'If he were resting in peace, I'd like to think I would let him stay that way,' Karai said. She ran her finger over the loops and walls of the carved stone. "'But he appears to me in battle.' I think he's not ready to leave this plane of existence. Jeanne crossed his arms over his chest and narrowed his good eye in scrutiny. And you want him back. And I want him back. From her satchel, Karai produced a short crowbar. The stone chipped, pieces scattering across the spotless marble floor as she shoved the iron bar under the lid. Eventually, with Jean's help and the scrape of stone against stone, they got the top off. The two of them leaned over the opening, anxiously peering inside. Whatever the guild had done to preserve his body, it had worked. A lock of his hair curled over one closed eye. Her eye brushed it away from his face. His skin was pale, but not waxy. He didn't stink of decay. He didn't have the tell-tale bloat and discolouring of the dead, either. Francis looked like he was sleeping. A warmth filled Karai's chest as she looked at him. My love, how I have missed you, she breathed. With that, she reached into the sarcophagus, grabbed his lifeless arms, and began to drag him out of his grave. Make sure he is not injured, she commanded. Jeanne lifted Francis' legs. You have changed, Karai. I have. Together they wrangled the corpse into the wheelbarrow. It wasn't dignified, but it was the best Karai could do. I need you at the Gong at midnight tomorrow, Karai told her former colleague. Jeanne curled his lip. I'll be there, but I'm not happy about it. He lifted the handles of the wheelbarrow. "'Thank you.' He paused inside the doorway of the mausoleum. "'By the way, I saw your wanted poster. It is a good picture.' "'Thank you.' Jeanne smirked at her. "'Hey, what are you doing in here?' a voice asked from outside the crypt. It echoed strangely against the stone. A head peered around the doorway— Guild The man's eyebrows shot up under his hat as he stared. Isn't this Francis Kitchener's mausoleum? Wait! Aren't you Karai and Koku? Then his mouth twisted into an eager grin. I've always wanted to face a filthy Rezer. Go. I will take care of this. Karai ordered Jeanne and she strode out of the mausoleum, the guardsman on her heels. Jean hesitated for a moment. See you tomorrow, Kurai. With the clatter of the wheelbarrow's wheel, Jeanne was gone. Her opponent gripped his guild issued saber. It whispered as it left its sheath. You will regret this, she warned, as she pointed at him with her shears. He snorted. This was the entire reason I joined the guild. Such arrogance. It's not unfounded, he replied as he charged. His sabre crashed against Karai's blade. Twisting her shears, she knocked his sword out of the way and stabbed her weapon toward his heart. At the last possible moment, his sabre blocked her strike. He furrowed his brow. She spun out of the way of another advance, turning it into an attack of her own. He parried as she swiped at him. "'You're good,' he smirked. So was he. "'Better than most low-level guild guards,' How irritating. A wild swing nearly beheaded her. Her shears just missed lopping off his leg. Back and forth they fought, dancing around each other, their blades ringing when they clashed. Her hair stuck to the sweat on the back of her neck. She panted. He lunged toward her, his blade slicing off a piece of her silk trousers as she twirled out of its path. She continued her momentum and whirled around. He tried to bring his sword back in time, but she was too fast. With a spiraling movement of her own weapon, she sent his saber clattering among the gravestones. His hand darted into his coat, revealing a tiny hidden handgun. He pointed it at her. Instead of backing up, she pounced. Slashing at his hand, she knocked his aim to the side. The bullet bounced off a headstone in a small shower of rock chips. The guild guard swore and shouted, Rezer. goodbye. Karai cut through his torso, her sharpened shears slicing through him with ease. Karai and Koku, you are wanted by the guild, dead or alive, a voice announced behind her. Another one. Why were these guardsmen never alone? She turned around to face a cocked and loaded revolver pointed at her forehead. In addition, another guild guard stood off to the side. He was also aiming his gun at her. Not just one, but two guardsmen. Annoyance flashed through her. The closer one shook his revolver toward her. "'Will you come quietly, Reza?' "'What do you think?' she replied. He fired, but she had already moved, spinning away to duck behind Francis' mausoleum. A bullet pinged off the stone. The guard cursed. Did he really think it would be that easy? That was offensive.' Her nose filled with the acrid smell of spent gunpowder, and her ears rang with the report of his gun. There were only two guards to deal with now. She wouldn't need to call on everyone. She exhaled and prepared for the pain to come. The fury burning in her soul was so easy to find, to wield. Karai tapped into the magic and tore through the fragile seam between this world and the spirit world. Her slithering Saishin emerged from Death's more, and made their way toward the guardsmen. The two men bellowed orders to each other and fired round after round at her ghosts. When she heard the jangle of empty bullet casings hitting the ground, Karai moved. Before the first guardsman could reload, she faced him, her shears glinting in the sun's weak light. His eyes widened as he caught sight of her, his fingers fumbled. Throwing the gun to the ground, he flicked a hidden knife out of his sleeve. The other guard grinned as he pointed his gun at her. Looks like you're coming with us dead, he gloated. Smart. They saved some bullets for her. She froze, her shears ready to slice through the man in front of her. A dark shadow fell over them. What the? The second guardsman complained. They all looked up to the top of a nearby mausoleum. A lanky form with a hangman's hood and noose stood above them. "'Is that?' the guard with the knife hissed. "'Jack Daw. Karai finished for him. Her saishin were gone. Either of the guards or Jack could kill her in a moment of focus it took to rip her way through the veil and conscript another soul to do her bidding. Her muscles bunched, ready to fight or flee, she wasn't sure which. With the speed of a predator, Jack launched himself off the stone structure. There was no hint of the strange lurching movements he usually had. Karai turned to face him, choosing to defend against the more dangerous enemy. Jack's hanging rope snaked around the throat of the man with the revolver. The gun fired, striking Jack in the stomach. He growled and gnashed his teeth under his hood. As he reached toward the man who'd shot him, Karai swung her shears at the guard next to her. You're working together, he cried. Apparently, she said, as she knocked the knife from his hand and beheaded him. When she looked back at the other fight, Jack crouched over his victim, continuing to maul him with his bare hands. He was covered in blood and gore up to his elbows. He is dead, Karai informed him. Jack grunted then looked past Karai. She followed his gaze to the far side of the graveyard and saw yet another guard in the middle of adjusting his trousers, staring at them. Guardsmen were everywhere in this place, like some kind of sanctimonious plague. The cemetery had a slight incline that allowed him to see everything. Then he ran. Karai swore, "'My ghosts and I cannot catch him. Can you?' Jack shook his head in a way that reminded her of a dog with a wet coat. She backed away from the mysterious creature, holding her shears between them. It was a pleasure as always, Mr. Dorr, she said, her tone dry. His teeth chattered as he watched her depart. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for part two of The Past is Never Dead on Tales of Malifaux.